Ruby, it's been a, it's been a great having these small chats with you and having these great conversations that I was like, wow, we need to record something and, and put it out in the sphere. But thank you for taking the time and making time to uh, tell your story because I think thank your you. story. Yeah. 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 Thank you for the invitation. And I also really love the um, back and forth conversation. I like hearing about what your experiences too, because so, I relate to it a lot. Nice. I'm sure our audience would like to know a lot of what drives you in, in what you do. But I want to start with this is the first time that I encountered your art was in 2018. I began to see your art, like beautiful art all over uh, Sacramento, the SAC uh, RT, which is called, stands for Sacramento Regional Transit. And I started to follow your art ever since then. And I found it like, very very good because it told the story and you always had like elderly folks but you also had like young folks and you had this cultural identity also with your art you know as you're a deep-rooted Chicana painter artist to what do you attribute that dedication to which you paint so that is a very layered question but um just to address um, just real briefly, and I can go into more detail. I always try, when I do public art, I always try to include in those images our locals, Sacramento, except for maybe one. I put, I put my nephew in one of them um, just to bring a little bit of myself in there. So everyone is from either the neighborhoods or locals from, and to, in order to kind of reflect the community that the mural or the public art serves. That's, a, art that's really important to me because um, I feel like my story was really invisible and so that's what drives what my work is today it's easier to take advantage of them or oppress them or stereotype them in a way that can be really violent and so to me I felt like art was my way to resist those stereotypes and bring to the surface um, our stories in a in a more dignified proud way in the way that I saw it so that's wow. the general description that's the okay. general reason <laughs> The, the other thing I wanted to know is, where did you grow up? And when we grow up, we, we kind of go through these, we either go through difficult times or good times. Um, and there's certain hardships that typically will stick to us. And um, throughout life, you know, we start to go back and, and meditate on those issues, kind of like a, like a self-healing process. I, I'm sure the listeners want to know, like, where did you grow up? My uh, grandparents came to, uh, migrated from New Mexico to Salt Lake City. My grandfathers were young, young boy sheep herders. And part, part of my experience, I didn't realize was connected to my cultural history, to my ancestral history until much later. But as a kid, I couldn't really make sense of, I couldn't really understand or make sense of the the traumas that come, you know, oppressed communities, whether it be low income or race, racism, or and sexism, and all of that, all those isms that play a part of your life when you're um, when you're growing up and drawn. I've always paint. I've always I didn't paint. I, I didn't have. We were poor. We, I didn't. I didn't have any any sort of paints or anything like that. But I always I used to, always used to draw. Used to color. Actually, did pretty well in elementary school. And um, got a lot of attention doing art all the time. And in fact, I think that that's probably when I reflect upon, about, uh, back upon, I think because of that, it 
really helped me through. It was like a, when you're surrounded by, you know, a lot of things that come with, um, I come from a single parent home, cleaned at the hospitals. And so like at a very young age, you know, started working and contributing and just, it was a lot, you know, a lot to handle for a little kid as, and so art really, really, I guess when you grow up poor, there's also a lot of um, things that happen. <laughs> like you, you're more exposed to violence, more exposed to predators. You're more exposed to a lot of things that you're not protected from. And so that what my artwork was a way for me to kind of make sense and really process it. Um, I, the way I, what I used to draw was a lot of stuff that informed my identity at the time. And I used to kind of be inspired by Lowrider magazine and used to do, I always did people, um, but I always did what I identified with because I didn't really feel like I knew who I was other than through uh, what the stereotypes, what people told me we were and through what my mom told us that was sometimes contradictory. Um, and sometimes my mom bought into the stereotype as well. So, so I had, it was a lot of contradictory messaging. So it was really confusing as a kid trying to find that pride, trying to find that pride when everybody was telling you that, you know, that you, you were less than when, you know, when you hear doctors calling your mom, Miss housekeeper, even though, you know, she has a name or just those, all those little microaggressions that you always hear and you know, from the time I was a little kid, I mean, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, it was pretty, it was pretty white, <laughs> you know, it's changing more now, but um, I always felt like my eyes were too dark, or, you know, everybody around me had blonde hair and blue eyes, and we weren't Mormon, you know, um, there's just so many things there that I, I just didn't know how to make sense of when you're a little kid, you want to belong somewhere. So, um, and when you didn't, when you don't belong in the dominant culture, I think art was my way of finding my identity, you know? So, so that I, I so your question was how I grew up and where I, I got art, right? And how I, um, started doing art. Yeah. So it's kind mm -hmm. of like a general way of saying I, my artwork protected me. <laughs> it definitely, um, helped, you know, come to terms with some of the inequities that you were facing as far as. Uh, your community and so on that's cool so you know you brought up a good topic you, you said there was of course Salt Lake right so there is a lot of Mormon LDS folk they're the biggest probably of course that's what they call the settler colonial um, uh, groups that that went to that area uh, to settle right mm -hmm. um, with Brigham Young and so on but did you did you see the like was that being taught in school as well or was it more like it was just in the community your neighbors your like if you went and you know if yeah. you ever got in, invited to a like a birthday party or something was that a, a normal thing where you would see no. that you know? yeah okay so that's a good question um so no in school we we learned about utah history was all about the utah mormon pioneers and how they uh crossed the you know missouri river to get to to so they can escape uh their religious persecution and 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 uh, be able to practice their religion. And when you say 
you know, when, in, when you're in Salt Lake City, when you say the church, everybody knows that that means the Mormon church because they are the church, right? The church, they are the one church. And we weren't Mormon. So, so that, you know, so that kind of perpetuated in my mind, all the people in the books, everybody did not look like me. So I automatically assumed, I mean, I always knew my mom always said that we were, we, that I, we, I was Chicana, that we were Chicanos and, um, and we were Mexican, which meant she said that we're in, uh, well, she said Indian and Spanish, but Native American and Spanish. And, I, and that's what I, that's all I knew. But the kids that are around me that I went to school with um, that were, you know, not from my same background, it was really not very diverse, um, used to, you know, they, they assumed I was from Mexico. So I assumed I was from Mexico, that my family somewhere down the line migrated, you know, from, uh, um, immigrated from Mexico, but I didn't know where. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and stories that I knew about my, my culture came from my mom and, you know, my mom was always working. So she only really just told us like personal stories um, where her, you know, just kind of like how she grew up and which is in a whole nother story. And I didn't find out until much later when, you know, there were some tragedies that happened in my family and I wanted to know my history. I wanted to know where I came from because I really didn't know other than I knew we were Mexican. I knew we were, you know, we Chicanos. Um, I knew that, um, but I didn't really know any details about that. And so, so I ended up, after I graduated from college, I ended up going to uh, Monticello to visit my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, because he was the only uh, grandparent that was alive. And he's like, oh, no, somos de uh, Mexico, somos de acá. And he said, the border, the border crossed us. Uh, we didn't cross the border. And I didn't know what to, I, I, I was like, what? I just got a little confused. Um, and then, but at the same time, I kind of got really angry because mm-hmm. I'm like, my whole life I've been taught, you know, you're, you're second class citizen because you're not from here. Um, and then I, and you know, you know, you hear like, go back to Mexico and, you know, and all this, all this, all these little things that, um, that are said to you growing up. And, um, that I got, I got so angry. And I'm like, you mean we've been here before all of you, all of the people I went to school with, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and wait a minute. And so uh, the Mormons came here in a, the year after the Treaty of Hidalgo de Guadalupe was signed. For some reason, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting the years. But well, they came to Mexico, right? They, so, and, and so now it's been flipped and we're being mistreated. And then I find out that my father and his siblings are segregated in the schools, were corporally punished for speaking Spanish, were, uh, weren't allowed to um, serve the public in um, restaurants, how to go, how to work in the back. Um, and my aunt was one of the first, uh, one of my aunts, my dad's sister was one of the first Mexicans able to serve the public like it was it was that racist and uh, I mean now I now I my dad is uh, so I didn't know and then I kind of was comparing the contrast between both of them and how my mom was more 
she was proud to be Mexican. She listened to uh, ranchera music. She was like, she wasn't ashamed at all. She spoke Spanish all the time, not to us, but she's, you know, she was proud of who she was. But my dad, I asked my mom, well, why didn't you talk to us in Spanish when we were growing up? She's like, well, because your dad insisted I just speak English. But then I realized, oh, well, that's why, you know, my dad held, had all this internalized racism um, going through his his veins, you know, that um, he that was a way of trying to protect us. Um, and so but I saw that how the educational system could really traumatize kids. And what I realized is that um, that, yeah, we all spoke English, but we weren't the treatment didn't change. And, you know, the the school to prison pipeline was very real. And um, I, you know, it, it, my, I feel really lucky that I, I was the first in my family able to um, graduate high school. And I'm second to the youngest, uh, first one to go to college. And, and there's a reason for that. You know, my own experience in high school, I had a counselor who would consistently, um, well, first of all, I went to a, a high school where they put all, mostly students of color in this high school. Um, and, you know, it was not the best school, but it ended up closing down. Um, I, I ended up going to a, a different school. I actually tried to take myself out of the, uh, the school um, that where all the students of color were at because I knew I wasn't going to school and the school wasn't really, really didn't, wasn't doing anything. Um, and so I took myself, cause I used to, you know, used to try to, I used to figure things out for myself because my mom couldn't, you know, because, um, not that she, uh, not that she didn't care or anything. It's just that she couldn't, she was, um, only went to the second grade. So she, you know, didn't read or write. And, um, which is something that I know that she's really ashamed of right now, um, to this day and still tries to hide it. But I don't, I don't see her as not as less intelligent because of it. Um, because she got us through, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And so she's, for me, she's my hero. Um, because of that, you know, I learned how to like fill out job applications. I learned out how to, um, you know, what less diversity, but I thought that maybe I would graduate if I was, you know, if they cared a little bit more. But then I, I ended up getting a counselor who would consistently call me into her office and tell me, because uh, I wasn't going to school my whole ninth grade year, that school didn't really, you know, do much that, uh, about it. And so I, and so I tried to take um, night classes, day classes, and I got credit for working. Uh, she would call me into her office consistently the whole time I was there and just say, I don't know why you're doing so much. You're not going to graduate anyways. Uh, why are you doing all this? And I even had like um, all the, all the kids of color always gravitated towards each other. So I hung out with all <laughs> the Pacific Islander, black Latinos in the school. And I, and I remember one of our friends um, who was, uh, she was black. She ended up not coming to school one day and or she quit coming and everybody was like, well, it was because Dr. Hunter, who was my counselor, um, told her she wasn't going to graduate. And so she decided just to drop out. Um, and this is the same thing that my, that she would tell me. And 
I, at the time, was like, I believed her. I thought I wasn't going to graduate. But I kept going because I, I just... I just knew that I was the last hope. I was second to the youngest in my family of, of the siblings. At that point, everyone had dropped out. Um, my younger sister dropped out in eighth grade. And um, so it was me. Everybody was looking to me. And my older brother was like, you got to be the one. <laughs> so I had all this pressure. But I kept going, knowing inside that I would never graduate. And always feeling like I never belonged there. Like, Nobody, like, they did not want me there. It was, it was obvious they didn't want me there because she kept trying to get me to drop out. And so then on my senior year, um, they posted the list of seniors who are going to graduate. And my name was on the list. And I remember thinking, whoa, they made a mistake, but I'm not going to tell them. Because, <laughs> like, I, I really thought they made a mistake because I believed my counselor all those years that she would just call me into her office to tell me I wasn't going to graduate. I believed her. And then, so when I was on that list, I truly thought that it was a mistake. And so I ended up walking and it was like one of the biggest accomplishments, like the very first big accomplishments that I ever, I mean, I still like every time I hear the graduation song, when I go to graduations at my school, like it, I, I cry <laughs> because I know how big that is, you know, for some families. Yeah. Um, so that was the, um, now I can't even remember your original question, but um, that was the, I think it was about like living in a, a Mormon state in the schools and stuff like that growing up. But hopefully I answered yeah, no, you did. And, you know, uh, yes, I, I grew up uh, LDS uh, myself, and I remember the stories um, we were told about, you know, 1847 and um, how the 148, you know, folk, 148 Mormons crossed into Salt, you know, Salt Lake Valley. Yeah. Um, and by, you know, and then, like, a year later, you have, you know, the Treaty of Guadalupe, Hidalgo signed February, you know, 1848, so. Um, but that part is completely erased in our, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's like it never happened. It they, is, they yeah. They never and, came you know, to Mexico. They came, it, they, not even talked about that way. Not um, at all. Um, and that's, you know, even over here in uh, California, where, where we talk about it, yeah, th that anger that you had is you know, a form of reaction that you've been lied to, you know, it's like when you're, you feel like, oh, wow, I was lied to my whole life, literally, and your loyalties to beliefs are like, you start questioning everything after that, and you come to realize, like, you then become conscious, and, and you understand that through historical experience, you've been either, you know, jaded, or, or somebody has gaslighted you through history, um, and literally, and you feel like, wow, these institutions of education, you're like, they're supposed to help people. And in reality, are, I mean, uh, from your experience uh, and from listening to your, your conversation, similar to mine, where my counselor would, you know, tell me, hey, you're not, you're not going to graduate. In fact, you know, because you're not going to graduate, maybe you should just go to the military you know, and having having papers ready to sign, you know, telling me, hey, you can't leave until you sign these 
And it was like, no, I, I know my rights, you know? So it was, uh, luckily, you know, that's the thing that we get caught up to as Chicanos is like, we're taught to respect the, the elderly folk, right? Yeah. And not to talk back. You don't talk back to, to you know, older folks. Um, in your case, you know, you, 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 uh, you had that perseverance and, and you excelled and, and you beat the odds. Um, but could you imagine another soul out there that just didn't, they actually probably did listen to that person and ended up just giving up and saying like, forget it. I'm just, I'm just going to, you know, do something else, you know, like, you know, work at Walmart. I mean, not saying Walmart's bad or anything, but you know, or, or working at Walmart is bad, but, um, you know, doing something else different um, rather than, you know, pursue uh, education. So, yeah, I, you know, yeah. I, you know, your story is very interesting, too, because my my mom as well didn't learn to read or write. Um, and the same thing, she, she feels like a little ashamed about it. Um, and when I see her trying, she's trying, you know, to read and and it's you know, I feel bad, but, you know, it's like she's trying and, and um, yeah, I, I know how, I know the feeling. So the other thing is you had to self-advocate for yourself, you yeah. know, and, and, you know, learn the banking system, learn, you know, the school systems, you know, learn how to, you know, that is interesting because a lot of us go through that. And did you say you were a middle child? No, I'm second to the youngest. Second to the youngest. Yeah. Okay. So, it's it's close. I was I'm, I'm second to the youngest as well, and I had to oh, really? self advocate as well. And you know, I had like literally like it wasn't because my it's just, she was just working so much. Yeah, she couldn't be there, you know. And if I got in trouble, it was it was like you know if I got suspended or something, it was bad because it was like that's you know the the food or or the payment to the rent. I'm off to go facilitate that, but I I hear you. Um, so, you know, another question that came out of all of this is, uh, from, from hearing you is what, what was the first successful piece? And, and when I say successful, it's like, uh, where you're recognized in the community and everybody's like, wow, Ruby, you just killed it with that, with that art piece, um, that you felt like, wow, I just, I did something amazing. Like, I'm going to stick to this. Yeah. So... I would have to say that as you were asking that, I mean, I had a lot of little, a little, little victories as I was growing up, just like that acknowledgement. But as far as in the community, uh, my first art exhibit. Uh, so I told you that I uh, had went to uh, Monticello, Utah to get my story with my grandfather. I also went to New Mexico and found a lot of people. But in that process, I did a lot of painting and I to tell my story and um, and I got my first exhibit. And also in that exhibit, I got um, published in a magazine in New York because they liked my artist statement so much and they wanted to publish it. So um, but that wasn't the that I, in fact, I, I, I had forgotten about that. I think mm -hmm. it was more profound in my mind was I told you my dad, you know, he had his own issues and things going on. So I didn't really uh, grow up with him around, but, um, but as an adult, he was more present. And he's, you know, he was somebody that didn't really uh, express himself, talk about himself. That's why I didn't know any of his stories. 
I didn't know any of those things until I started asking, you know, he's just really private. He didn't, you know, when I, when, when he tells me stories, I feel so privileged and honored because he doesn't. And in fact, when I tell my sister what he tells me, she's like, oh my gosh, you got that out of dad. <laughs> but anyways, going back to the uh, art exhibit, uh, so I painted, you know, my grandfather, like a lot of things so I could tell my story. And my dad came to the exhibit and it was like, for me, it's like the first time I'd seen in a space, in a public space in, in um, Utah, brown faces, right? I like, a, you just didn't see that. And you didn't see, I mean, even growing up, you didn't see politicians that were brown. You do now, but I didn't see no teachers, no, nothing, nobody was in a position of power, no one um, that I saw until um, much later in life, like much, much later as an adult. Dad came to my exhibit before everybody got in there because he's kind of got a little bit of social anxiety, but um, he came in and he sees my grandfather. I painted him um, next to uh, Blue Mountain where he used to sheep herd. And my dad looks at it and started just telling me stories and you could see tears in his eyes. Oh, wow. And like, just telling you that story now is like, I still remember it. Like it, like it gets me choked up and emotional because um, like you, I'm going to say, I'm going to say the way somebody who grew up with my dad who was since passed, but his name is Bill Gonzalez. The first time he shot, saw my work and he saw the people in it, he's like, you have no idea, Ruby. People used to treat us so awful. And now I look at your work and I see, look, this is the beauty that came out of Monticello. Look at how beautiful we are and the way you paint us. And you have no idea. People used to treat us like dirt. They used to treat us so terrible. And so, and I, I understand. You know, those words made me understand where my dad's tears were coming from because nobody, if people were forced to look up to my, to my family on those walls where they, before they never did, they didn't honor their lives. They didn't treat them like human beings. And now where they were forced to hear their story and have a little bit more respect for them and their humanity. So that was the one show that really stood out, stand out to me. It was my very first gallery show at Art Access Gallery. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That was, that's a beautiful story you tell about your dad and his friend. Um, and yeah, oral, oral research is it's impactful and it's a, a form of healing as well uh, because it's, you know, an experience. But also uh, the institutional knowledge of of something that people went through. Um, but you know, I'm looking. I'm literally looking at this painting, and I'm like, "Wow!" Like right now, I'm looking at it, and it's with these two mujeres, and they have their. Uh, I, I don't know if you name your paintings, uh, but there's these two mujeres. They're um, they have their their hands to to the top to the to the. Um, I guess in the air and um, there's a bird flying with flames and there's mujeres in the, in the middle and they have their fists up, you know? Um, and then there's the American flag 
and then the Mexican flag, but then there's, there's oh, okay. I know which I'm like, which one are you talking about? Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> like that, that is amazing. Like, I think you're talking about the one that I did with Brown Issues and high school students. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. That, yeah. yeah. So that, th- those are the actual students that I work with that are in that painting. Oh, wow. And so a lot of it is like one side is, um, if you look, if you see it in person, you can see it better, but one side you have um, tattooed in their bodies because, you know, we carry our stories in our bodies. Uh, like, you know, it's just like we have memories of our experiences in our bodies. And so um, the w- one side is um, the story of the, the oppressor, like the, the dominant narrative that's told about us, right? Um, and if you look closely in the shirt, you'll see um, a man behind a fence and like those are the stories that we carry and we try to get rid of. And then the other side is our counter is the counter narrative, like the um, the story, the stories that we we have that persevere and overcome those oppressed stories. Um, and they're kind of bumping up against each other. And in the fire, I don't know if you can see it, but it says it says rise up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so um, and that's what it's all about it's really about uh, validating our stories and especially young women you know young young girls who uh, you know who on a, on a different level have those stories of uh, oppression but art doing the art piece was a way to resist and kind of uh, heal from those and tell our story and in a more beautiful way and you know that's why, and it has all the butterflies, right? And the yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and the Mexican and American flag um, flags within the um, within the landscape, because you know, you you know that's the whole. Thank you for <laughs> bringing that one up. Yeah, that one's amazing. I, well, all of them are amazing. I there's I, yeah, and your murals are just they're everywhere like there's a lot in salt lake there's here in sacramento um did you did you do anything in spokane yeah so that was the most the last one that i've done because we kind of you know in the pandemic i haven't really been able to do a lot but i mean i did go i did go last summer because that was already scheduled and um and they promised they like had a space where there is wasn't going to be people so anyways I ended up doing that one um, because we had been planning for that one for a while. And um, it was um, the Gonzaga University, um, the School of Leadership Studies. It's a new department. And somebody that had worked with, um, and interestingly, her name is Dr. Hunter. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like my counselor, only she's the most amazing human being ever. Uh You see, uh, I knew her in Salt Lake. I went to... uh, I did some community work with her. She did, she did some, um, university, she did, she was, we were both working in different ways in the same neighborhood, uh, creating a smoother pipeline to college. And I was doing it through the nonprofit. I start, I, um, my ex-husband and other people in the community, and she was doing it through university neighborhood partnerships. And we worked together on some things. And I went to, to, to Thailand because we had a lot of refugees, Burmese refugees and did a mural with her there. And she has since gone to, to be the Dean in, in this university for this department, new department. And um, she wanted to have kind of an identity through art. 
and um, she knew my process because my process is always about doing workshops and getting the voices of people and telling their own story from their own perspective and then translating that into a design. And so that's what the mural is. Um, I did workshops with her um, faculty and we kind of, and then uh, I, it was like, the only thing that was missing is I wanted to acknowledge the um, indigenous peoples in the, in the area. And I found um, a woman that I always really loved her. She was a, she's an artist from there. Um, but she was one of the first people who, um, one of the early, early activists, artist activists who was fighting against the, we are not mascots. Uh, we are not mascots movement um, mm-hmm. is Charlene Teeters. I kind of called her up and asked her, you know, I'm doing this mural. Is it okay if I use, you know, add you to it? Um, because you're like a symbol of leadership in the area. And I wanted you to be the, you know, I wanted her to be the dominant figure because all these people, people have good intentions and come and do good work, you know, with community. But like, what about the people that are actually from there, you know, and, um, or have been there. And so, um, you know, we, I included her image along with um, all the other people who do good work as far as leadership is concerned. Cool. So those, those are like a lot of those connections. And, and this is something that, um, that I'm, because I'm not an artist myself. I mean, I paint and stuff, but I, I don't consider myself an artist. Um, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a hobby and it's, it, it helps me de-stress. Right. Um, but you know, I was having a conversation with another artist, uh, an, an artist that is teaching in Woodland uh, Community College, and I was asking him, hey, you know, um, I know some young adults that are organizing a, a walk or a, a march uh, for climate justice, and I was like, hey, how do how can we get some artists to, to do, um, you know, either some art for that or do something like, you know, either posters or something. And it was like, it that it doesn't happen that way. You can't just tell, like, artists, like, hey, can you do this for me? It's like, it has to, it comes from the soul, right? Or the outburst of the soul, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, may, our, our listeners would probably like to know about that because there is kind of like this thing, uh, this stigma for asking for a certain art, like, for an art piece, hey, can you do a, a painting of me you know that type of thing mm-hmm. um and then there's a there's also the idea of selling out right mm-hmm. like are you really sell, are you selling now are you keeping it are you keeping it within you know the organic uh sense um is, yeah is that i mean do you have you come across that or well um i don't really pay attention to people who i i you know to like the selling out kind of thing just because I think if anybody in our community makes it out then I think then we all do yeah but um but as far I think what you're talking about is process and you know it is that exchange from the with the internal and external you know all the external things that um that influence your ideas but then also your internal I I guess your spirit spiritual well I mean for me I'm not speaking for every artist but um Mm -hmm. But like it's that internal spiritual groundedness that you that speaks to you. I I, I don't even know because sometimes I put images in that I don't even know why, and then they kind of like they kind of like uh, reveal themselves later on why it was relevant. And I had this conversation with my son as well um, because he's a musician. On um, because he was asking me um, 
about like creating art, you know, the process of creating art as, as opposed to creating music, very similar. And I told him, you know, it's, you, you really, you know, you, you really, you, you're, you, you, you think, eat, breathe, dream, you know, about that project until it really comes to be its own, like, like messages that speak to you. Like I, I write notes, I write notes, write them down so I don't lose them. And then somehow I internalize those messages. I problem solve it while I ride my bike, when I'm dreaming, um, and it comes out and, um, and sometimes it's a really difficult process and sometimes it just flows. Um, but, but I honestly feel the, probably the greatest factors in creating an art piece are going to, are about listening to, um, those some sub subconscious messages, which I feel are really spiritual and grounded in, 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 for me and my, I feel like in my ancestors, like some, I feel like somehow they whisper something to me and it just comes, it just, because I, Otherwise, I don't know how these sometimes symbols or images come out. Like, I, I just know that it's right, but I don't know how I know. And then I, and I'm like, I don't think this has anything to do with it, but I'm going to put it in, trust it anyways, and put it in. And then I find out, like, for example, the um, Gonzaga, the, universe, the mural for that one, there was this um, flaming heart um, that I put in there. And... Um, Turns out that it's um, because it's a private school, it's a Jesuit school, that that's something meaningful to the Jesuits. And I didn't know that. <laughs> just, wow. I, you know, and I was like, well, I think that you just kind of come up with these little, these things that kind of make it in and you're not sure why, but you just know it feels right. And that's where I feel like it's the spiritual groundedness that you, you know, you really have to pay attention to those. Um, um, but and trust it. And um, yeah, process is really interesting. <laughs> um, you know, you brought up your son and um, I remember you shared um, on Facebook um, some of his beautiful, like, like he's definitely him and his partner. Like, they're amazing. Uh, Thank you. I would definitely want them to come over and just chill, you know, and like just listen to them. Um, Me because- too. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're just amazing. Like they're really guitarists, singers. Like, oh my gosh, that's like um, it's a perfect couple. By the way, um, I think they're gonna have some really good success. Um, but yeah, they're they're amazing. Yeah. Um, by the way, uh, shout out to your to your son. Um, what what kind of um, what would you say his his art is, or what what his his um, craft is as artist, um, singer? writer um and what's his genre what's his genre because it's well, amazing <laughs> uh, current, currently he does a lot of uh like argentinian folk music uh tango uh-huh. and stuff like that but he's grown up you know going through various stages of like he studied classical and jazz when he was little and um and went through you know like um just all kinds of stages um you know he produced his or he got he uh cut his own cd through spy hot productions um when he was 16 it came out when he was 17 but he wrote it when he was 16 um and has been just kind of like exploring and i think i think he's kind of like um he's kind of like me which i kind of hate um (laughs) 
but, <laughs> but I understand it in, in the sense that um, he cannot acknowledge his talent. Like he can, uh, he, well, I, I, I feel like there's always room, like for myself, I always feel like oh, I'm not really as great as people say, think I, 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 there's always a lot of room to grow. But then at the same time, I think, well, that's a good place to be in because then you stop improving. And he's the same way. He's a perfectionist. He won't, he won't um, put stuff out until like, it's like perfect. And I think it's perfect. I'm like, no, I'm like, he, he hears all the, the de- whatever he hears. I don't hear and nor your average person doesn't hear. And I'm like, you, you're just, you know, you got to share your work with the public. So I think um, he's just really humble in his, and he, he doesn't feel like he's all that great. Like, I think he's amazing, but he doesn't think he is. And uh, I just, and I, for me, like, I've learned to like, just take compliments for before mm-hmm. it was like, uh, it was really hard. I couldn't, it was hard to take a compliment because I always felt like, it's just going it's just going really bad and i think now is the challenge to like how can we fix it and how can we come together as a society um to make things right and a lot of it has to do with coming to terms with our history you know um coming to realize that there needs to be a healing process and art does that and i was just gonna say that like all of those things have probably always you know they've always existed but they're just coming to the surface and yeah. um yeah. you know and 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 it's tipping over and we're gonna have to do something about it you know it, it's I, and in some ways i mean it's terrible to go through everything that that's happening but um but at the same time it's also a way to make it visible and address it and fix it you know and or like not fix it but like um just like what you said, like we need to, we need to have, can go through that healing process and cre- yeah, and fix the systems that are oppressing our, our people. Yeah, you know, I, you know, when I'm talking to folks, about, I always bring up the subject of structural functional deficits, and once we realize there is one, uh, we can confront it. You know, but it it comes with the idea is it, it comes with the focus of understanding that uh, presence of it and and confronting it through that, you know, uh, coming to terms with it and uh, becoming determined. But, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of your success and your um, willingness to succeed, right, makes me think of that you are the hero of your own story, you know? Story is amazing. Um, When you went to college, how was that experience? Because I know it was different from, like, high school times yeah like uh talk to me about that uh, and where did you go by the way and 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 so okay. i'm sure our, our members well, before before i answer that can i just say to your last comment that yeah it's interesting that you say that because i feel like uh like um all the characters all the people that i that i'm bringing out in my paintings are the heroes that people don't acknowledge you know in, in the world so anyways but thank you for that i really appreciate it um, so the, as far as where I went to college, um, so I, I, when I graduated high school, I, um, went to Santa Barbara, um, with a friend and registered for the Santa Barbara city college. And the first time that I had a Chicano counselor and the first time I saw students of color on campus, like the first time I, it, it's interesting. Cause I, 
like when when I was going to through high school, I, I don't know how to explain it, but it was like darkness. Like I could not see a future. I could not see past. I could not see myself graduate. Like it was not in my mind. And this is where art plays a really important role because I realized this is what contributed to my voice in art and making things visible was when I went to Santa Barbara and I saw all that and I saw the possibilities that I did not see in Salt Lake uh, or I didn't see anybody in my close circle, like none of, none of my immediate family at least go to college. Not that nobody did go. I'm you know, there were people, but it was very rare. And so I just didn't see it. Like, and then I just met this Chicano counselor and I saw these students and um, it was the first time it opened up my world. I realized that, hey, I can go to college. Then, you know, I worked two jobs and because it was so expensive for me to live there. And, and I just remembered too, though, um, when I, I was really terrified, by the way, to meet my, to meet a counselor my experience I thought their role was to like tell you how give you the obstacles and how you can't do something so I was prepared to go into I was prepared to deal with him and so I just remember one day he calls me in and I'm like okay here it goes I'm gonna just like figure out a way to block him out he calls me into his office and he says um so I wasn't sure you know how you were gonna do it all like I know you were you're working these jobs and you're going to school full-time he's like I checked up on you and you're doing really well I'm really proud of you and I remember thinking what the <laughs> I just like yeah. I was wow uh -huh. I, I was ready to block him out like his words out because I thought that I didn't never had that experience with a counselor before like somebody that was trying to help me and um so anyways I, I couldn't afford to live there so I only did one semester and I ended up going um, back to Salt Lake and right going into the community college and but I never went because I was in Salt Lake I never went to see a counselor because I was too terrified of counselors in Utah and because I knew where I was so I I went there probably I did I probably did overkill credits because I tried to figure out on my own what I needed to take uh -huh. <laughs> and um somehow I I found out that you, um, you can study art. You could get a degree in fine arts, which I didn't know you could. And so I ended up transferring to the University of Utah where I got denied. Like, they didn't let me in. Someone told me that I could appeal it. And at the time, I didn't even know what the word appeal meant. Like, I didn't. I, and then they were trying to explain to me, and I'm like, well, I thought once they say no, they say that means no. Like, I didn't know you could argue something like you could. So that's what I did. And so I appealed it and um, they let me in. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so, um, but what I found out, it, it was interesting because years later, after I graduated, I was actually called in to... Um, to test like to testify on behalf of my mom and myself not being not being let in um, because at the time my ex-husband also applied and we um, I had a better GPA than him in, at the community college and they let him in right away but they didn't because he he was white <laughs> oh, wow. um, but they didn't let me in 
And I think that's probably why they let me in because they kind of, when I appealed it, I, I don't know, remember what I, what I did, but I just appealed it. And then, um, cause they, university of Utah was being sued years later because, um, there was a study that was being done where all, um, across campus, out from the university of Utah to the, um, to the university of Utah hospitals that Latinos were being paid less than their white counterparts um, in every area from professors to housekeepers to like everywhere. And that uh, <clears throat> the student retention for Latinos were, went down from this, um, the 70s where there was a group called Socio, which is a, was a, um, uh, an activist group that got a lot of um, students of color in, into college. Um, and then that went away and then the, the, the rates of letting students of color in went way, 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 way down. Like it was way down. And, oh, wow. um, and so I went and testified with that. Anyways, there was a deal behind closed doors where they ended up hiring a bunch of professors of color. Um, you know, they made a deal. Um, and so there's a lot more now of it's changed a lot. But when I was going to school, my very first year, I was a young mom and they were starting Mecha. Like the, Mecha was not even, um, it was not even around in my high school. It wasn't around in college until it was the very first year or second year, I can't remember, where they ended up starting. There was a, a Mecha club. Mecha, um, Mecha had been around in the 70s, but then it disappeared after Socio disappeared. And I remember thinking because there was a, were a lot of young women in this match in Mecha, and I was already a young mom, you know, because I had gone to community college first and then met my ex ex and had we had a child, and um, I thought that it was I didn't know what Mecha was because I never heard of it before, and I they I thought it was a young you're gonna laugh at this yeah mm -hmm. I thought it was just like a young singles group. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize that I could join it, but I always talked to them like friends and everything because they were all Latinas and everything like that, Chicanas. And, but I didn't know that it would, would, I really, I don't know what I thought. It was really weird. But so that, that goes to show you like the visibility that we had, you know? Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a, that's a cool story about the university and how the change happened and and you you know you testified and and you know you let them know like, yeah you know. oh and then on behalf of my mom my mom was um there for close to 20 years and she was making less than seven dollars an hour oh my gosh that's so yeah. long and um and yeah so and you, you said she was like cleaning hospitals and stuff and yeah um yeah wow that's that's so messed up. That's so wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, oh, that's so, it makes me so mad too, you know? Um, it so, goes to show you, it's up to us to make the changes, you know? I mean, people that don't know or experience yeah. um, these things. I mean, that's, I mean, that's why so, so many people were surprised with this George Floyd tape, which, you know, 
to a lot of us, it wasn't so surprising. Like this has always been happening, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, um, but people needed to wake up, you know, like if you don't actually witness it or you experience it, you don't think there's anything wrong. Yeah. That, that video is haunts me. It's so sad. Um, to see a grown man uh, treated that way, uh, anybody treated that way. Um, so yeah, it's 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 definitely, you know, uh, Chicanos also Chicanos in Chicano. I mean, folks have been shot like crazy over here in California too. Yeah, black um, and brown. Yeah, and, and yeah. The kids and the people on on the border. I mean, just all kinds. Of, just there's so many things that with so much work we have to do. It is, and yeah. And keep, you, keep focused or keep visible. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But you're, I, um, not to change the subject, but your motivation, you know, uh, you tell, you were saying that it comes sometimes from, you know, you don't know where it comes from sometimes where you get inspired to put something in your paintings that you were like, hey, you know, and you write notes when you get inspired. Like, where do you think that comes from? Like, uh, not just the motivation. I, we know we're kind of like we could we could probably uh, map out motivation in a sense. But as far as those little things that that make you decide to do something, and then when you do it, and you didn't think it was such a big deal, but it was a big deal, like in Gonzaga, right? When um, yeah. Um. So where do you think? Like, have you ever thought of that, or or philosophized about it, or? you know, psychoanalyzed um, it. You're using uh, a different term motivation. I guess I, I guess I think yeah. about it as process, but like, okay, um, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I mean, when we talk about it in terms of motivation, I like when any piece that I create in a, in, in a general sense, part of me has to be in it. Right. So it, it's all the pain and the love that I have inside of me mm-hmm. for like what and however I relate to whatever I'm painting about. Um, all that, all my own, all my own pain and love that, ha- that comes with, that's what, com- that's what comes out. And I feel like if I'm real with that, like if I'm vulnerable and real with it, then other people are going to connect with it because yeah. it's like, you're, you're, you're really, you're telling the story of humanity, but if you're not real with it, if you're not real and you're, and you really trying to just, it doesn't happen so quickly. Like you really have to dig deep, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're, if you don't go through that process of digging deep, then it's going to be on the surface, you know, it's not going to be, it's going to reflect what you put into it. Everything yeah. that you put into it, it's going to reflect. Nice. Nice. And I want to, I, I guess this would be my last question. Somewhere I also read that you were, you were looking at doing silk screening. Yeah, no, I did um, silkscreen when I first moved here to Sacramento. I feel like um, part of my, the first people part of my community was Malakias Montoya. He invited me to go and do some silkscreens at the Na. And, um, and just, I would go every Friday and do silkscreen and he'd teach me how to do it and um, do different kind of techniques. And, um, and I really, really appreciated that because it, it, it's almost like he became the fatherly figure that I didn't have here. I didn't have any family. And, uh-huh. um, and he just kind of took me under his wing. And I just really, to this day, I, you know, I still talk to him. I just, I, to this day, I just feel so grateful for him. Um, 
because he's just so gracious with his time and so passionate about what he does and just passing it down. And that's always, and it's so, it was such an odd experience because um, I was so used to, I, I think I kind of briefly mentioned about the non arts and activist nonprofit in Salt Lake. That was the whole thing that, um, that I did with other people there um, to mentor, like we mentored other artists, um, created a space where, you know, um, artists of color and artists for social justice could, could really um, do that work and also mentor youth and all this stuff. So I always was on the mentor side. And nice. for the first time, he was my mentor. I never had a mentor, an artist mentor like that. And wow. so it was like such a, an amazing experience to actually have someone mentor you. Because I, I didn't have that. I became that because I didn't have that. Well, you know what? Props to Malakias Montoya. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, that's, they, that um, generation of artists, I mean, did amazing stuff here in Sacramento and around the, literally around the activist realm too. Um, and it still resonates yeah. today. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having this conversation. Um and I appreciate it. Um, is there anything you'd, you'd like to say or, or give shout outs to, to somebody? There, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I guess I would I like to thank you for, for taking the time to do this podcast and create, doing this through your own medium um, and, you know, bringing out the voices of other people. And I just, you know, everybody who, who I need to thank, I know, I think they know who they are. Um, mm -hmm. because I don't, we all know we don't get to places alone, that it takes a community, that it's a collective effort. Um, I just like to thank all those people because there's just so many for me right now that mm -hmm. I couldn't mm -hmm. even like, I, I, I just feel so grateful that I have a, just the most amazing, beautiful community, my chosen family, my family, my chosen family, my community, um, the school that I'm at. Um, shout out to my my high school that I teach at Encina Preparatory. <laughs> nice. Um, and my students there, they're amazing. They have a lot of heart, a lot of um, social justice in, in their heart, their fight for justice in their heart, a lot of good passion and voice. Just so amazed by the young people, everyone. I don't know. There's just too many. But thank you for that. And thank you for giving me the, the mic to be able to do that. Um, and I'm going to be quiet now because I really am tired of talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this is good. Thank you so much. Um, again, Ruby check on. Um, yeah. Thank I you. It. I look forward to uh, chopping this up and making it, uh, put, putting it out on the sphere and um, we'll let you see how that goes. Uh, so I'll forward that to you soon. Mm -hmm.